In the Randall household, we listen to a fair bit of country music. And my girls, all three of them, uh, their new favorite singer is a guy named Thomas Rhett. I don't know if you like Thomas Rhett or not, but my girls love Thomas Rhett. Uh, they went to Rupp Arena a couple weeks ago, and they sang with Thomas Rhett and 20,000 other people, and they've been singing his songs ever since. There's one song that Thomas Rhett sings, I assume he wrote it as well, because it's about his life and his wife and his children, and that is uh, they were looking to adopt a child from Uganda. They did adopt a child from Uganda. But along the way, uh, uh, they discovered that Thomas Rhett's wife was also pregnant. So he wrote a song about how life is always changing. And if you know the song, it goes something. Well, I'm not going to sing the song. But it goes like we make our plans and you hear God. Thank you. Somebody listens to country music also. You hear God laughing, right? That is, we think one thing is going to be true. But all the while we realize God is doing something else entirely. You know, if I were to take a survey this morning of every one of you and ask if everything in your life has always gone according to the plans that you thought you had, if everything had gone exactly the way your well-thought-out, well-organized plan has happened, not one of you could say that it has. And if you did, you would be lying. And I think we could look back over the past 10 years of our life, probably even the last 10 days of our life, and recognize that God is always doing something different than we think he's going to do. Change seems to be what is more common than what is not. And if you're visiting with us this morning, and maybe you're not a follower of Christ, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what's the big deal? Of course, life is always changing. Who doesn't know that, right? And to an extent, you're exactly right. Life is always changing. But what we often think of as life changes is that we just need to hang on tight and embrace the change and try to survive along the way. But what you need to know as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who live inside a different kingdom, inside of the kingdom of Christ, that is not how we look at change. You see, inside of this kingdom where God is the ruler of our lives... He's revealed in scripture as the author of our lives. So that is, we all have stories, and he's the author of the story. Where Jesus is our brother and our savior. He's at the right hand of God right now, interceding for us. He's praying for us even now. Where God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us and is constantly at work to conform us. See, we can't just look at the changes that life brings and say, oh yeah, we're going to hang on tight. No, rather, there is a God and he is doing something in the midst of these change. So we look at change very differently. Here's what I want us to wrestle with this morning. Would the Lord of the universe allow things to go differently in your life than you expected or you hoped? How do you deal with that? How do you feel about the sudden changes that occur with your plans? How do you deal with either the good news or the bad news which occurred in the past week? Are you prepared for what you don't know will happen in this coming week? One author I read recently about the life of a Christian said that in every single encounter Jesus ever had while he was on earth, he always disrupted the situation he was in. Whatever conversation, whatever occurrence was going on, Jesus was always disrupting it. 
And I think we can all relate that he does the same thing with us. But my heart this week as I've prepared and studied and prayed from Robert's sermon last week is that we are to be people of peace. We have shalom because of what Jesus has done. It's our assurance of pardon again this week. In Christ, we have peace with God and we have peace with each other. How do we experience peace when God is always disrupting us? So here's my proposition for us this morning. I want us to see, and my prayer for us now, is that as God's children purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we can face the changes that God has for us with strength of heart because of our position in him. And I emphasize strength, not physical strength, not emotional strength, but strength of our soul. Our inner man, our inner person can be strong and confident in the midst of change because of who he is and what he has done. What we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is a very small glimpse into both Paul's ministry and more particular into Paul's life. Here we have this great apostle. He planted churches throughout the world. He was used by God to spread the news of Christ everywhere in the world. He wrote so much of the Bible. But I want us to focus on him as a man this morning. To see a bit of his own story. And we will see a part of his life as a human being where he had to make decisions within his particular calling, within his life, that did not make sense according to his plans. And he did it with confidence. And here's why. Two points this morning. First, we see God's declaration over us. And then secondly, God's purposes for us. This is what guided Paul in his story to be confident. God's declaration and God's purposes for us. Look back at verse 12. Let me set the stage of what's going here as we think about his declaration over us. Verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus. This is fascinating to me as a preacher. Here's what's going on. Paul was ministering to this church in Corinth. He loved these people. He had been part of their life. He had served them. He had taught them God's word. He loved them. And Paul had this ongoing correspondence with the church in Corinth. He was teaching them about how to follow Jesus Christ and how to live inside the church of God. And inside of his travels, he wrote another letter to the Corinthians and gave it to Titus for their instruction. Now, we don't have a copy of that letter, but we have some ideas of what it's about. But the situation is Paul is now waiting to hear what their response was. And God opened a door for him to be in Troas. But as he's there, he cannot rest. He cannot enjoy what God has done. But notice verse 12. A door was opened for me in the Lord. That is for Paul in his particular calling as a minister God had given him a call and was blessing it and giving it success. I assure you, that's no guarantee in ministry that you'll always be successful where you are. But in this case, God opened a door for him to be there. So here you have God's man, sovereignly blessed with gospel ministry. 
God had his man where he wanted him to be, doing what he wanted him to do, using his gifts and his skills, and was successful at it. This is every minister's dream come true. This is every worker's dream come true. Here's a man using the gifts and skills that God has given him because God opened a door for him to do it, and he's wrestling with, am I supposed to be here or not? Verse 13, Paul cannot be at rest because he doesn't know the well-being of these other people, these Corinthians. In a word, Paul's anxious. He could not enjoy success. In the midst of the success, he could not find rest. And I'm sure, even though the text does not say, after struggling in prayer, after talking with the Lord, probably consulting with other people, Paul makes a decision to leave even though God had opened a door for him to come. Let that sink in. He left a place of safety and security. He traveled to a place of uncertainty. He left a place of predictability for the unknown. He followed God's leading away from the place of God's blessing. You have to be honest, when you look at this passage, it looks like a mistake. That here's the Apostle Paul airing. That's what it feels like. God had opened a door for him to be at Troas and he's leaving. But simply put, God brought about a change in what Paul had expected. There's no way this man of faith had made a mistake in being at Troas. Nor is there any way that he was making a mistake in leaving for Macedonia. Rather, God made a change. And in the midst of that change, he was showing Paul a greater picture of who he is and what he is about. And I suggest the Lord is constantly doing the same thing in our lives as well. Hasn't Jesus disrupted your plans? Doesn't God allow similar processes to happen? When God leads you to one job, or God doesn't lead you to a job. When God leads you to change schools or God doesn't lead you to change schools. When God leads you to a relationship or God doesn't lead you to a relationship. Simply put, what we think our plans are, are not always reality. Even when we have the best of intentions, even when we are obeying the Lord. God makes changes. Paul's reaction to God's sovereign interruption of his life. It's where I want to focus this morning. Look at verse 14. We've seen this situation. He's making a move. Verse 14, but thanks be to God. Paul did not throw up his hands and question the Lord's movement. He didn't pitch a fit. He didn't say, God, I just got to Troas. He didn't pout. He didn't quit. He didn't do what I would have done and talked about how much it cost to get to Troas and now we've got to move again. He didn't do that. No, rather he rejoiced. He was thankful. His faith was energized even though his well-thought-out plans were now going to be different. So how is it that we're strong in our faith when unexpected things happen? Again, our declaration over us. Look at verse 14 again, the second part. But thanks be to God who in Christ... Does something. He always leads us in, quote, triumphal procession. Triumphal procession. 
This is not an accidental way of describing what God does in our lives. Rather, this quote, triumphal procession, I think is a good way to describe what it means to be a Christian. In Paul's day, the Roman Empire used something like a parade whenever they conquered enemy nations. And that's the picture you have to have here. The process of the Roman Empire going out to fight an enemy and conquering them and bringing them back and processing them triumphantly is what is going on here. Imagine the Roman army going out and conquering another place in another land and then bringing those soldiers and parading them before the emperor. Scholars have found evidence of at least 350 of these type of parades in the Roman Empire days. And what we see in all of them was the magnitude that this was Rome's finest hour. That is, all of the pomp and circumstance that you could imagine, the greatest celebration possible occurred during this parade. And these parades were filled with glory to the emperor, glory to the general who defeated the enemy. And the highest honor a Roman general could ever be given was to lead one of these processions. A parade of enemy captured soldiers. And the leader of that parade was given the highest honor imaginable. He was the conqueror and all eyes of the gods were on him. All the spoils of victory. All the captured soldiers. All processed before royalty. So that the whole world would see what had happened to them. This was the ultimate victory formation. Being marched in a parade. Where these soldiers would be humiliated. And they would be led either to their deaths or to slavery. And this was Rome's time to shine. Now look again. How does Paul describe himself? And thus how are we described in scripture? He says that God always leads us in triumphal procession. Do you see the picture? The picture is this morning, it's clear, but let the imagery grip you. If you're a Christian, you have been captured. You have surrendered. You have given up. And you are owned by someone else who is leading you. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has captured your heart. He is now your leader. Paul is not leading this parade. Paul is in the parade as a soldier who's been captured. Jesus is now parading us before his father. And what he is saying is, look at these people. They are mine. I captured them with my love. I sent my spirit and I wooed them to me and they now belong to me. And the father is looking at this parade and he is saying, those people are now mine in Christ. Look at them. Jesus says to you this morning, they belong to me. Father, they are ours. They were against us, but now they are part of us. This is the gospel, and this is God's declaration. You belong to him. Now again, if you're visiting, or you're wrestling with what it means to be a Christian this morning, there's a good chance you're looking at this and saying, why would I want to be a captured soldier? Why would I want to be humiliated 
like an enemy? And the answer to that question is the heartbeat of everything Paul ever said. The answer to that question is what the entirety of Scripture is all about. What you need to know this morning is that you are a citizen of a kingdom. Whether you are part of Christ's kingdom, then you're part of a kingdom not of Christ. But everyone is underneath the authority. So this morning you are either looking to please yourself by figuring out life on your own and being constantly disappointed. Or you're inside of Christ's kingdom where you're constantly being encouraged of who this king is. You see, when Jesus is your king, when you are now in this parade of his, he brings you before the creator, not to humiliate you, but to exalt you. He ushers you before the throne of the gods, but he gives you his name. As he parades you, he takes away all of your sin. He takes away all of your shame. He removes your hurt and he gives you a hope. He gives you all of his righteousness and all of the promises of eternity are yours in Christ. You see, the conquered soldiers of Rome were humiliated and then executed. But your general, Jesus, he was humiliated before Rome and executed so that we would not be. And yes, we are now his slaves and we are brought to our death But it's not a death unto ourselves. Rather, it is a death unto the empty way of life that existed before Christ. You see, to be captured by Jesus and to be put in this parade means that you're fully alive for the first time. It's now being in step with the one who created life. It is following the originator of life. Your declaration is that God has positioned you inside of this parade and he leads you. I don't know if you've ever been in a parade, one here on earth. I've been in one. I was in the 1987 Fourth of July parade in beautiful downtown Loudoun, Tennessee. I don't know if you were there. I was part of a high school uh, junior Lions club. I have no idea why. I don't remember that we did any service projects at all, but I was a member of the club. But what we had to do that year is we had to march in the 4th of July parade. What I remember about that parade was not much other than it was really, really hot. We were behind the horses. It didn't smell well. And we had to just process as whatever in front of us was going, meaning we went wherever the parade went. I could not speed it up. I could not really slow it down. I just followed in the parade. My part was to belong to the parade. You see what Paul's understanding here is? He's saying, I am part of this triumphant procession that Jesus Christ is leading me. It's not my parade, it's not my story, it's not ultimately my life. I belong to Him. And he is the leader, and I go where he wants me to go. So I ask you this morning, do you believe in your heart that God is leading your life? Not occasionally, not once upon a time, not way back when. No, Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us. Maybe you feel this morning that God has forgotten you. 
or he's being unfair or he doesn't understand what you're going through, again, let this image, let this metaphor of the parade capture your heart again. God is your sovereign, loving Father, and he is leading you. Again, my prayer is that we can say thanks be to God who always leads us. You see, when God sends seasons of change in your life or when he disrupts your well-intentioned plans, you can trust him. You can trust him because he is your leader. So Paul is strong in his inner man first because of God's declaration. But secondly, look back at verse 14 and see God's purposes for him and for us. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, there's something going on inside of the life of this parade. You're not just marching for the sake of marching. God's using this parade for Christians who follow Christ by obeying his word, by living by faith, by praying in all occasions, for caring for the poor, for worship, for giving, for coming to the table, all that it means to be a follower of Christ. As we do this in our daily lives, as employees, as students, as athletes, as family members, and whatever God has called you to do, as you do that, your very lives are proving to an unbelieving world that Jesus loves sinners. Notice what is happening in and through Paul's life. He says that he is the fragrance of Christ. That is, his life is an aroma. It's a smell. It's a luring nature. That that our lives bear witness to the reality of the gospel. That inside this life of a parade, God is shining his light through us. Again, let this grip you. As you go to work tomorrow, as you fulfill your calling tomorrow, whatever that may be, as you embrace Christ as your leader, as you pray for your enemies, the watchers of the parade cannot help but to deal with Jesus. The lives of the captured now bear witness that their leader is in charge of all things. We become like the leader of the parade. We become like Christ and the unbelieving world sees it. Do you see what God is doing in your life? He has designed us to be the very means by which his appeal is made to the world. What an honor we have tomorrow when we fulfill our callings. We're the fragrance of Jesus Christ to the whole world. As Jesus said, we are the salt and the light. Paul says here with the same principle, you're the aroma of Jesus Christ everywhere. I love this picture. You know, think about the last time you noticed a strong fragrance. Not an odor, a a fragrance. Maybe you're walking in your neighborhood and, and you smell someone with a charcoal grill. And you just couldn't help but to notice, man, I wish I were there. You're drawn in. I've heard so many stories of evangelism over the years where people come to Christ, not necessarily because they lost an argument about Jesus, but rather because they knew someone who was a Christian and they always said something like, man, that guy was just different. I don't know what it was, but there was something different about him or her. That's what Paul is saying. We are Jesus's fragrance 
as we parade through this life following him. Years ago when I worked in college ministry, this was one of my favorite, student, uh, one of my favorite passages to give to students. Because I wanted students to see that as they fulfilled their calling of being a student, they actually had a greater purpose when they went to class. Whether they realized it or not, a fragrance was coming from them inside of their world. In every single thing that they did, they had the opportunity to bear witness with the aroma of Jesus Christ all around them. What an incredible calling, what an incredible opportunity. But notice again the context of how this happened with Paul. Paul is reminded that as his fragrance, as God's fragrance in and through him is happening in the middle of his life being turned upside down. He didn't say, I just enjoy being the fragrance of God in my day-to-day life. No, he's saying, as I go from Troas to Macedonia, I'm the fragrance of Christ. As I go in the middle of a life of faith where I don't know what will happen tomorrow, I can be okay because I'm the fragrance of Jesus Christ. When God led him to leave one blessed assignment for the unknown, he was not rattled because he understood the bigger picture. As a captured soldier, Paul did not truly have his own plans. Not really. He had a plan, but ultimately those plans were given into the hands of Jesus. And he knew that he was simply following Therefore, when the commander made a change, his purposes would be fulfilled. Paul embodied, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, not my own. He had been captured. He had a whole new identity. Paul's life had been laid down in total surrender. He died to his own plans, his own agenda, and now he lived for the desires of his king. His greatest purpose in life was to give glory to God because in so doing, that is how God's fame would be known throughout the world. And the same is true today. That's why God makes changes in us. That's why he disrupts us. That's why we may feel confused. It's because he is not... And he's doing something through us. So this morning, if you've been moved into the bluegrass, we're so glad you're here. We need more of the aroma of Jesus Christ here. If you're moving outside of the bluegrass, man, we hate to see you go. But you know what? Wherever the Lord takes you, there's more need of the aroma of Jesus Christ there. If God has not led you where you hoped, this is the answer. If you've been repositioned, this is the answer. If your life has been rearranged, this is the answer. If God has ended one plan and started another one, this is the answer. If he has not given you all of your wishes and desires, this is the answer. You're the fragrance of Jesus Christ everywhere. This is who we are. And I believe that this fragrance is best known when our trust in him is strong. Not that we are strong, But our belief that he is strong and working through us changes everything. We can embrace his disruption because we belong to him. So we make our plans and we hear God laughing. Actually, he's not laughing. He's leading. And he's leading us to good places. 
He's leading us according to his plan. And we join behind him gratefully. And we join behind him with joy. Because God's plans have not changed. God's plans are always good. So as we prepare to come to the table this morning, let me remind you again, God's plans for you are found here. That your Savior, your leader, your Lord gave himself for us. He gave his body and his blood because he loves sinners. Let's come now to his table with joy. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, we do thank you again this morning for what it means to be a follower of Christ. What do we think about this image that you've given us in your word, that you always lead us, where there's never a time that you're not on your throne, there's never a time in which you are taken aback or that you're unaware of what's going on in our lives. Jesus, you love us. And you have not left us alone, but you have given us this table to come and have fellowship with you. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.